So Chris, I got into this new documentary um, that I'm pretty excited about. And um, it's all about how small studs of metal are the primary method of connecting girders when building bridges. Wow. It's riveting. A... It's riveting stuff. <laughs> you had me going. I'm like, this dude, we are recording here at midnight, and this dude is telling me about a documentary on rivets? Come on. That was good. You got me. I like that. Yeah, so welcome, uh, Christian, to the latest ever recording of the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. How uh, how does it feel? Um, well, right now it feels good. Uh, I you know I guess we'll see how it feels in uh, you know in an hour or so, I suppose. But uh, I guess you and I are not strangers to late nights together. Yeah, that's true. I mean, in our lives together, we've had we've done all nighters together. We've had early mornings. We've had late nights. We've had late drives together. I know listeners. Uh, We'll remember one of our stories from an early episode talking about our late, late night drive through Pennsylvania. So this is uh, this is certainly not unique to us, but probably and I remember before we started our podcast, I mean, one of the things that spurned us on to do the podcast was that we would have our phone conversations that would start at like 10 and end at like 1.30 in the morning. Um, and so this is just par for the course. This is just, I mean, we've done, been there and done that. Um, I don't know if listeners can uh, withstand like essentially three hours of straight bullshit fire hosed into their eardrums but i know for us it's reaching toxic radiation levels i'm having a great time how about you yeah no i'm having a great time but uh yeah i think what's going to make it especially tiring which is i mean definitely my own fault um is that i'm in i'm in the midst of a uh of a big stretch of work currently and i have to go to work early in the morning Anyway, tomorrow, like tomorrow. after we record this. Basically. Correct, correct. Oh, so, um, and while I don't have anything that I'm studying for per se, which is typically what most of our late nights had been uh, <laughs> previously, you know, in our in in the basement of that house there, uh, where we used to study the night away. Um, Equine but, nerve blocks. I definitely didn't study that <laughs> um, because I knew I'd get the question wrong anyway. Uh, but um, no, I'm actually uh, in the midst of uh, working six days in a row and eight of nine days um, right now, um, which is a big stretch uh, stretch for me. Uh, we have a couple of doctors who are away. Um, and as a, an emergency clinic, um, you know, we have to try to keep the doors open, obviously, as much as we can. And I don't know about you, but the, the I feel like the demand for veterinary services has been just ever amplified kind of since the pandemic started. Is that something that you've experienced? Yeah, it really is unbelievable. It's interesting that you make that same comment being in a different a different state, you know, than 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 where I live and work, it's, um, it's amazing. And I think it's something that's affecting us continent wide is this demand for veterinary services, but, um, lack of veterinarians overall. Um, and I, this is something that I think I saw before the pandemic, you know, before we had this massive burst in, um, dog adoptions in particular, also cat adoptions before we had that massive influx, we had a massive staffing problem and it's existed in veterinary medicine for the last couple of decades. But I remember the ICU where I did my residency closing multiple times. I remember the emergency room where I was a staff internist closing um, multiple times. 
all before the pandemic started um, simply because of demand. And I think in some ways, I mean, this is maybe a topic for another day, but I think it's maybe a bit of a self-wrought issue in that we simply don't have enough veterinarians to care for all of the dogs and cats. Um, and, and I shouldn't say just dogs and cats, they're the main ones, but all small animals, um, even all farm animals, all horses um, as well. There are not enough veterinarians to care for the number of animals that need that veterinary care. And we set the number of veterinarians that graduate every year. We set the number of foreign trained veterinarians that um, are new, receive new licenses every year. We set those numbers. And this is a problem that we've known has existed for a long time. And the pandemic has just made it 10 times worse uh, with adoption. Um, so it, it's been a, it's been a really tough go. And it's something I've noticed here. So Christian, I do not envy you, my friend, for your schedule over the next nine days. That sounds pretty brutal. How, uh, how do you think you're going to get through it? And uh, do you have a light at the end of the tunnel? Well, the way I'm going to get through it is that I've started adding shots of espresso to my iced coffee. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so now yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, now I'm not just iced coffee. I'm iced coffee with a shot of espresso. Your um, blood is like 50% uh, coffee, just straight coffee. My yeah. blood vessels shake. Yes, <laughs> not just I like it. My hands don't get the shakes. It's just just the rest of my core um, yeah, that hi, gets uh, the shakes. Thanks for visiting me, neurologist. Yeah, I'm having these tremors. It's not affecting my muscles so much as just all of my blood vessels have a constant tremor. Is there a name for that disease? Uh, there, there is. It's called caffeine addiction. Uh, but uh, <laughs> um, but no, my light at the end of the tunnel is actually a vacation, believe it or not. Uh, so I think we mentioned on a, a previous one. episode that uh, I will be traveling to what is referred to as the most magical place on earth, that is Disney World, um, in about nine days' time. So not at the end of the nine, eight of nine days, but because I'm partway through that. But uh, in about nine days' time, I will be uh, traveling uh, down, down there uh, with my daughter and, uh, and my mother-in-law. So the four of us are going to go. Disney World. When you said most magical place on earth, I, I was like, Middle Earth? What, I don't know. Atlantis? What is he talking about? Ah, the Magic Kingdom. Yes, a beautiful place. I can't wait to go myself in October. You must be looking forward to it. Yes, very much so. We've been, uh, my wife and I are uh, Disney uh, freaks, uh, so we go all the time. <laughs> uh, and I think I mentioned this also in a previous episode. You know, we were the millennials without kids that everybody hated, and then we had a, had a child. Um, and so, yes, we will be going. We've been uh, we got, uh, we went just before the pandemic started. So the January, right before the pandemic started, uh, actually we were in a conference in, in Orlando, Florida. So we kind of tagged on a few days at, uh, at Disney world after that. So we haven't been since then, which for us is an epically long time. Uh, we're normally a once a year kind of, uh, kind of crew. Um, so we're, we're very excited to get back there. So that'll be nice. I'm a little stressed out about kind of the airport Mm, yeah, um, kind of concept uh, right now, especially now with a child. Now we've flown with our child before, but she had been much smaller, and so kind of easier to contain in a uh, car seat or something of that nature. Whereas now I have a fully mobile kid who has uh, has the ability to just get up and run away at an airport, or you know, not is not is not going to sit still in her airplane seat, which we now have to pay for. Um, because she is over two years old. So little changes <laughs> like that that I will uh, be interested and I am anxious about how those will go. Um, but more on that in a future episode of the Dad Joke Loading Podcast when 
Christian comes home and tells you about all the terrors of traveling with a two-year-old. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, we're very excited to get down there. Um, it's a much different vacation with a with a kid. You know, you don't uh, do we don't do Disney as hard. You know, we don't try to get all the rides in. It's much more of a mosey. Um, you know, and we do it at our at our at our daughter's pace, um, and for that, but uh, which is great. You know, it's it's um, you know it'll it'll be a ton of fun. So I I that's my light at the end of the tunnel. But right now, I have uh, yeah, I got I got a tough stretch uh, coming up. But going back to what you were saying, just really quickly, kind of before we get started here, you mentioned kind of the demand for veterinarians, and then us setting the 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 limit on the supply, which is the veterinarians. I think one of the main rubs personally, I think with just pet ownership as it pertains to the supply and demand of veterinary care is just that we, nobody, there is no control on the number of animals that exist, right? There's Mm -hmm. no ceiling, you know, it's not like, Oh, only so many dogs are produced every year. Right. And so there's no control over that. Unfortunately, there's no law or really license to breed animals, right? There's yeah. no, there's none of that really control. So anybody who wants, unfortunately, um, as I'm sure you're well aware, um, anybody who wants to breed two dogs together can do it and they can make as many puppies as they want. And there's nothing really we as veterinarians can say or do about it as long as obviously those animals are being cared for respectively. You know, of course, you know, if there's animal welfare concerns, that's a different story. Um, but unfortunately, everything from puppy mills to backyard breeders to whatever exists everywhere in the world. And that's without considering the wild animal population. Now, I'm not talking about bears and things. I'm talking about just the wild cats and dogs that are around that obviously then reproduce because that's what they're known to do. Um, so I think that's a big part of it as well, is that there's not only the standard that we set, which is how many veterinarians we can produce on a yearly basis. Um, but there's just no control of how many animals that we have to see. But of course, then as veterinarians, if someone comes in with a sick animal, it's our duty to care for it. Um, but the problem is, is then just when that overall demand just exceeds the exceeds the supply by such a such a margin that you mentioned capacities are being met we have uh, i do work at an emergency clinic here in western new york but there are two other ones that are close by and they are routinely at capacity like they basically just call and say hey don't send us anything because we will literally say no um because we're already at a six to eight hour wait so um which pet owners don't really like to hear um But I mean, I feel like pet hospitals, especially emergency hospitals, are becoming much more like human ones, which is you go into the ER and they're just going to triage you and how bad you are. Because, yeah, the one that's hit by a card that's bleeding is going to be, you know, or the one that's in respiratory distress or arrest or whatever is going to be taken before the ones with an, you know, upset stomach, which is difficult i'll i'll admit to uh portray to pet owners because they're obviously concerned about their pet and feel like they should be seen right away so how do you convey to convey to somebody that their pet isn't as sick as the other ones that you currently have without it being somewhat uh detrimental i guess to your communication process if that makes sense 
Absolutely. And it's a, <clears throat> and it's a difficult and unique ethical topic triage, you know, um, looking at someone who's arrived there first and looking them in the eye and saying, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, we're not able to, we're not able to treat you. I've been in that situation where you only have a, a certain amount of, um, say surgical implants or a certain number of, um, a certain amount of medication left within the hospital, who gets what, how do you, um, how do you disperse things amongst a, a select group? I think the most pressing example that I've experienced within an ICU you is blood transfusions. When you have a limited amount of blood products and multiple animals that need them, how do you make those decisions and determinations? Um, either way, it's been pushing veterinarians in a pretty uncomfortable situation, so that's for sure. So I think uh, I think the difficulty and harshness of that first nine days that you face hopefully will be offset by an absolutely joyous um, and ecstatic nine days following that. How does that sound? And a lot of espresso in the interim. But uh, <laughs> what do you say? Do you want to get this thing started? Yeah, you know, in the interest of finishing before 2 a.m., let's load it up. What did the drummer call his twin daughters? Anna one, Anna two. Welcome to the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. I'm Chris, that's Christian. From both sides of Niagara Falls, we are the Dad Joke Loading Podcast, coming to you every week to talk to you about topics about fatherhood, um, young adulthood, and everything in between. Um, we would like to extend our sincerest thank yous to the people that make this podcast possible. Of course, our beautiful and wonderful wives and daughters. Um, we love you so very much. Producer Ryan Longsuffering, we love you very much. Michelle Murthy, the vet cartoonist for all of our illustrations. Michael Spicer of Michael Spicer Music for all of those incredible audio stings and uh, our unique intro. Um, and we'd also like to extend our thank yous to Celine Dion's trombone. Just going to drop that and leave. All right. So this week, uh, we're going to talk about some uh, topics that we haven't really covered that much before. Um, hobbies uh, of Christian and I, and that is games of various sorts. We're going to talk about video games, board games. If you can play it, we're going to talk about it. So we're going to start off this week, Christian, by talking a little bit about one of my favorite things, um, something that you and I have done together, something you and I have done with our friends, um, something that I hope you and I can do the moment this pandemic is over, and that is play some board games. Mm, yes. So I'm going to, I'm just going to start out with a kind of a law ball question for you. Um, listeners, I'm surprising Christian with this question. He has not heard it before. Um, if you just had to think off the top of your head, gut instinct, what are your three favorite board games? What would they be? Right off the bat, uh, Settlers of Catan, I think, is, Classic. Uh, Classic. Is, is one that I, that I enjoy very much. Um, More on that one in a bit. Uh, this one might be too soon, but Pandemic? <laughs> it, it is. I mean, it's a great game. And in fairness, you know, uh, we've loved that game since well before the pandemic started. But they should just rename that game COVID, I think. I think that also the aspect of that game that I really like is kind of like the teamwork aspect of it. So it's like you're competing against the game, you know, which mm, I which yes. I which I really Very like in mechanism. and of that uh, mm -hmm. in and of that there's a couple of games that I know we've played as the kind of vet school guys that have been kind of similar concepts where the we're all playing against the game together, um, which I which I really enjoy. 
um, playing those types of games. Um, and then I'm a straight up classic guy. I'm a traditionalist, so I'm going to say Monopoly. You can never, yeah, another um, very good one. you can never have a bad game of Monopoly because I think it always turns out in some hilarious way, or somebody gets <laughs> screwed over at the end, and then it becomes a fight. Like it's always funny, uh, and, and to play that game and just you know trying to charge your trying to charge your friends money for for uh, rent at your hotel and that type of thing. So I'm going to go Settlers of Catan, Pandemic, or COVID, and uh, Monopoly. It's a good answer on Monopoly. I think Monopoly is one of those games that's really of, of that older generation of games, and we'll come on to that as well in a moment. It's the one that has stood the test of time arguably the most, maybe it and Scrabble. Um, I mean, that's, it's just a very, um, it's a classic game, which even despite it being a little bit more um, unique and specific um, and thought through as it compared to say the simplicity of something like Pictionary or Scrabble, which are inherently fairly simple games. It's a game that's really stood the test of time, um, surprisingly. So uh, yeah, I agree with you, big Monopoly fan. So what got me thinking about board games, Christian, is that um, it's something that I've always loved to play my whole life. You know, my wife and I have loved to play them together since we've even moved in together and, you know, kind of started our lives together. It's something I've played with you and with our friends and our, our friends, as you said, in vet school. But moreover, it's something that I remember playing with my parents growing up. And that those board game nights, you know, would be something that we'd plan in advance and look forward to. And it was something that really did genuinely bring us together as a family. If someone were to ask me to think of all of my most, you know, my most prominent, I don't want to say most precious memories, but my most prominent memories of spending time with my parents as a child growing up, um, what, what those memories would be, a large chunk of them would be playing board games. Um, and we, uh, those moments around the kitchen table were always a lot of fun. Mostly it was three of us for the most part. It was me, um, my, uh, my mom and dad. Um, and, uh, and, and every once in a while, if we were at the cottage, we might have a friend join us, which would give us that crucial, crucial fourth person that might allow you to play something like Euchre. And so that brought me thinking into now that I'm a dad, um, you know, my daughter's quite young. There's still a, a ways to go before she'll be playing board games. Um, but as we've been kind of moving out, my mom's possessions from her house have been coming across a lot of my old games, things like Junior Pictionary and things like that. Some of the games that I learned as a kid, a Junior Monopoly, even speaking of which. And it made me think about when I would start introducing board games to my daughter and when that would become something that our family would start to create memories with. So Christian, let me ask you, when when you were growing up, you know, you were a family of four, that perfect board game number. Um, you know, you had uh, parents who were educators, very, you know, smart and, and interested in learning. You and your brother, I'm sure quite competitive. I know competitive in sports and music. Did you guys play board games as a family growing up? Yeah, we definitely did. Um, now, I will say we were probably predominantly a card shark family. Um, so I think in a previous, I think uh, one of our most recent episodes when we talked about going to the cottage, you know, we talked about Euchre and that type of thing. So we were predominantly yes, a yes. card playing family. That was maybe more as I got into kind of my teenage years, I suppose, when Euchre became a little bit more, you know, of a game that we could play together um, and uh, maybe a little bit more competitively, um, mm. mainly so mm. that we could shit talk a little bit more. Uh, but uh, as in Euchre, we tend to do. Um, but uh, yeah, no, we definitely played board games um, growing up. You know, there was a game 
you know, you mentioned Monopoly. Uh, I think of the game of life as well, which is another one we played growing up. Actually, the one I remember the most growing up was one um, that my my brother and I played together. And it was actually called Dice Ball. Hmm, now, I've never heard of that one. Dice so, Ball. So Dice Ball is essentially a board game that you play baseball against one another. Um, so we talked about baseball in recent episodes um, and my brother and I played dice ball all the time. So we would always, I'm literally Googling this right dr- now. Like we, right would, now. we would draft a starting lineup uh, and draft because we, we could just pick it ourselves. Um, so my brother wow. would always pick uh, So we mentioned uh, my brother was a huge, is Look a huge Mariners this. fan and he would pick Ken Griffey and a rod, you know, a rod back in the day. Um, and we would play each other and it was this combination of dice rolling. And so certain numbers allowed you to get a hit versus a strikeout versus all these types of things. And then obviously you would play nine innings of baseball. And so my brother and I actually played dice ball for hours and hours and hours on end. This um, is amazing. Yes. Listeners, go on Google and type in dice ball. I mean, it's just incredible. Like it has... I'm looking at, it's basically the board game is like a, a baseball field is what I'm saying. Is that yep. the game that you played? Yeah. Yep. Oh man. And would you like, did you have individual players on like cards with different values or like how, how did that work? How did you No the, the, t- no, there was no, uh, the teams, we just like picked our favorite players like out of thin air and just wrote them down on the starting lineup. So there was no, like the That's picking amazing. of the teams was kind of immaterial to the game right, itself. Right. It's just who we felt like picking, um, that lived but, in your imagination more so. Right. And so, I mean, we essentially picked Cleveland versus Seattle cause those were our favorite teams <laughs> growing up. So like he, again, he had the a rods the randy johnsons the ken griffey's whereas i had the uh you know uh omar viscales uh you know sandy alomar's kenny loftins you know uh, growing up those types of things you know we'd sprinkle in it was the 90s so we did sprinkle in the blue jays there i'm sure joe carter um you know made and pat hankin <laughs> traded and made to the, seattle <laughs> right yeah absolutely yeah traded to seattle at the deadline you know kind of kind of things made it in there so i'm sure we put our own names in there you know i'm sure i batted cleanup on pretty much every team that i made but um but uh, well i know what i'm getting you for uh for your birthday or for christmas <laughs> yeah. this year is basically just if i can track down the game of dice ball from the 90s oh my but god that's incredible believe it or not this is going to sound wild but i had a friend we've mentioned reach for the top in a previous episode one of my teammates on that on that high school team that I was talking about. He was this incredibly smart guy. He invented basically a baseball card game where like each player had like a statistical value and that like broke down odds. It was kind of like a magic, the gathering, but baseball mind blowing. What what was it called? I actually don't know. I mean, he honestly just like invented it and like brought in the cards that he had printed off one day. I don't, I don't know that it had a name if I'm being honest. Oh, so this ever like actually made it to production. No, no. Cones of Dunshire. Yeah, Cones of Dunshire. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to be the farmer. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I, uh, that that sounds really good, Dice Ball. Now, for me, when I was growing up, these, the board games were an opportunity to like bring us together as a family. You know, they were something that like sparked competition and something that I remember a lot. For me, the big ones that we played growing up were well, we were talking about Reach for the Top. Trivial Pursuit was absolutely the number mm, one that yeah, we played. Yeah, definitely. Scrabble was a big one. Monopoly was a huge one. Um, I actually, this gonna, I, I, I hope no Monopoly executives are listening to this podcast. I'm assuming they aren't. Uh, but if you are, I mean, come at me, bro. Um, we made our own Monopoly game 
um, for like our own family of like different places and streets and things in our in our lives. Um, and we called it Famopoly. And to this day, we still have it. And it's the Monopoly game that we play forever together. I don't think that that's um, like incredibly offensive. I mean, if you think about um, all the different versions that they have, but I mean, it, I mean, essentially, you're kind of just like, you know, putting a piece of paper over Boardwalk and Park Place, and just like renaming them something yeah, exactly. valuable to your family. I mean, realistically, you'd still have to buy the Monopoly board and pieces yeah, to probably pieces to play and, and, and like, yeah. and that type of thing. I mean, today you could probably just, you know, Google the image of the board and make it yourself. So, but I, yeah, no, I don't think Hasbro's coming at you for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, ho I hope not. I, uh, I mean, if they do, I'm, I'll have no regrets in sharing that on this podcast. Um, another big one we played growing up, Risk, for sure. Another classic. I mean, if you're a geography nerd, it's one of the only ones that has a, a giant, awesome map like that. Although, shout out to Axis and Allies, for sure. Um, one, uh, one unique one that we played a lot growing up, which is, um, you may remember it from the movie Inglorious Bastards, kind of, is um, the game that we played was called Headbands. But basically, the idea of putting up on your forehead that you as the player can't see um, a famous person, famous place, famous thing or landmark that everybody else can see. And you have to guess who it is. 20 questions. It basically is. I like that you used Inglorious Bastards as the the reference there, <laughs> uh, which is a fantastic film. And that's a fantastic scene where I went immediately was The Office. Mm, you know oh, the episode man. of uh it's like there the was, second episode it's like yeah, yeah diversity day it's like the diversity second day. episode and all i can think of is i think angela is jamaican and <laughs> kevin is asking her questions about <laughs> marijuana and she's like no i don't do drugs and kevin's like I think you do, man. And he's like trying to tell her that she's, it's perfect. It's so good. <laughs> There's there. One of my absolute favorite lines from the office is from that scene, but I'm not going to repeat it on, uh, on this episode <laughs> right at this moment. Um, but another classic one that I actually played a bit growing up, um, which, which I think might be, I, I almost wish that its popularity hadn't waned quite so much as it had compared to say 40, 50 years ago um, is chess. You know, a pretty simple game, very um, inexpensive, you know, has a lot of replay value despite having some initial basic rules. Um, so one that I played uh, with my mom as much as I could growing up. So, Christian, those moments that you played as a, as a family, um, you know, let's say when you were card sharks around the table at the cottage or when you and your brother were playing dice ball. Um, what what did that mean for you as a child? And are there any do you do you plan to have board game nights as a family with your daughter and your wife? Um, is that something that you feel is important to you or unique in some way? I don't think we've made I don't think we've my wife and I have had a conscious conversation about like we're going to have board game nights as a family, um, but I very much anticipate that it's going to happen. And uh, my wife is very much the same as we are in that it is something that we valued growing up. And I think it's for a couple of reasons, which is one, just the family aspect of it, right? Like sometimes the game in which you're playing is not the purpose. It's the, um, you know, it's the actual being the family, being around together, you know, in, in that 100%. type of thing. So that development of that kind of connection, social um, atmosphere, family bonding, you know, something that's specific to you. Because even as, well, Chris, as I'm sure you're aware, you know, sometimes 
or we have phases in our life where we grow up and we think we're too cool for our parents. And then we come, you know, we get old and then we realize we still need our parents. <laughs> and, uh, um, but those are, those are memories. I mean, heck, we're talking about it on a podcast now as dads talking about how much those moments impacted us. Right. So I think yeah. the, the question answers itself in that standpoint. Um, but the other thing I think of is just the, there is a very intellectual or critical thinking or strategy solving kind of aspect to it, which I think there's some inherent intellectual uh, development. I think that happens now, maybe not for our kids who are, you know, you know, two and younger. I mean, obviously, you know, they're not going to think of, you know, we're going to, I'm not going to put a chessboard in or a risk board in front of my daughter right now and just be like, mm, night to E5. Um, but um, as, as they grow, I think there's definitely some kind of intellectual, um, kind of, like I said, critical thinking skills that can be developed from that, which I think are extremely beneficial. Um, whether we ever kind of see the intangible results of those, I mean, I have no idea. Um, you know, will my child become a card counter and, uh, you know, get thrown out of a, a casino? I have no idea. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's some incredibly valuable um, aspects of that from a multiple different kind of scenarios. Sure. Like I said, both that emotional standpoint, but then intellectual as well. Yeah, it, it teaches so many kind of like different things at the same time. I mean, I'm, I'm going to address the family part first. And it's fun. Which, yeah, I mean, damn straight. It's colorful, you know, for sure. I think when it comes to the family thing, is there anything else truly, honestly, that like when you, you know, when you have a large family, a few kids that you're doing all together at once, you know, where you're really bonding and talking at the same time, dinner for sure. Uh, like big family get togethers, like Christmas and stuff like that, you know, movie night, you might all watch, but you're not really like necessarily talking together, maybe car rides. Like there's so few opportunities where everybody in the family is all sitting around the table and like interacting with each other at the same time. Um, I think it's one of the reasons why things like panic rooms, escape rooms, sorry, not panic rooms, escape rooms have become a really big thing, you know, because people like to do things together and they like to problem solve together. And there's so few opportunities to do that. And then, yeah, from an intellectual standpoint, I agree. I mean, it's, you're looking at, you know, as a kid, you're learning the concept of like negotiation almost that you and another person have differing, differing goals. One person wants to win for them. You want to win for you, you know, and how do you kind of negotiate your way through the game, game theory, problem solving, all these kinds of things at the same time, for sure. So a hundred percent. Now you mentioned card counting and statistics, and you said your family was more card sharks. So I'm going to, I'm going to step away from board games a little bit and go into the card angle of things. You mentioned Euchre. Uh, I won't I won't bring it up too much because we talked about it in our last episode. Basically, a super popular game in the Midwestern um, U.S. states and around the Great Lakes and in Ontario. Basically, a four-person kind of bridge-related type of card game uh, with Calling of Trumps. Super popular here. Christian and I have played in tournaments before. But Christian, did you guys play any other card games going up, uh, growing up as a family? For example, like, did you play poker growing up? Or did you ever participate in a poker game, either now or when you were growing up at some point? Uh, yeah, I, I played um, actually quite a bit of poker in high school. Uh, now, I should say, like, I'm not talking big stakes poker. Uh, you know, I'm talking like um, maybe low level tournaments with friends. And then uh, when I was obviously legally able to gamble, you know, I could I entered a few poker tournaments, you know, here or there. So nothing like crazy, you know, World Series. You've of poker. been in poker tournaments. 
Yeah. You've been in poker tournaments. That's cool. I mean, when you say like, oh, nothing high stakes, but then drop the term tournaments. I mean, that's pretty cool. I have been uh, in a couple of of tournaments were these. I I was in a, I went to, I entered in a couple of casino, um, like poker tournaments. I mean, we're talking very low level, just kind of like, you know, things where, uh, you know, maybe at the maximum, you know, like a couple hundred bucks to enter or something like that. Like nothing like, you know, crazy buy-ins or anything like that. Just to, you know, enough as, as I do for the casinos, you know, whenever I, I say whenever I go, that sounds like I've been a lot, you know, the few times I've ever went, it's like, you know, I spend, you know, enough money to make it tiny, a tiny a bit interesting, but not enough that I'm, you know, bankrupting myself, you know, by any means. So, um, so no, I've been in some tournaments like that. Mostly I would say it's been like with friends, you know, everyone would mm. like bring, you know, 10 or 20 bucks and throw it in the pot. And so like, if you ended up losing $10, you had a terrible night, uh, you know, yeah. kind of thing, but it was more just an excuse to get together and, you know, talk about, you know, life and things like that over the cards, right? But then just that added little um, kind of uh, era of competition. But actually, one of the card games that I love to play um, is actually a game called Big Hoss, Little Hoss. I don't know that at all. Is oh. that related to like president asshole type game? Or? No, it, it, so it's actually, it's a little bit euchre and maybe a little bit hearts, um, if I can call it that. So to make a long story short, you use a euchre deck but you deal all the cards and there's a couple of different areas that you can call. You bid for the number of tricks that you think you can win. So again, there's six hands, right? There's a total Euchre deck and basically you can either call a Trump suit or you can call what's called high, no Trump or low, no Trump. And then you go around with your, with your partner. So two versus two, like in Euchre. Um, but you can also call little Haas or big Haas, which means you have to go by yourself. And if you win, you get way more points. But if you lose, you go down points. And then it's first to, I think, 62 points or things like that. Well, I know what we're doing the next time we get together is I'm teaching you how yeah, to play I this actually, game. But. So in addition to Dice Ball, I just Googled this one as well. So I feel like I'm having my mind blown today. I feel like based on the way on the way you're describing it and the and the different names that I've seen here, like Bid Euchre and things like that, I think I've played either this or a variety of this maybe once or twice with my wife's family before. Um, and I remember loving it. So if it's the same game, if Bid Euchre and Big Hoss Little Hoss is the same game, I am into this 100%. And yeah, we got to play this next time I'm there, which hopefully is soon because it sounds like the border is going to be opening real soon. Yeah, absolutely. But another topic for another day. Yeah, I think Bid Euchre is probably a good way to put it. There's just other, there's just additional options as opposed to the different suits that you can call Trump. So that way, you know, the cla- you know, in, uh, although I'm a traditionalist, so I don't believe in the no ace, no face, no Trump. Like, I don't believe in that rule. Like, I don't believe in stick the dealer. I'm, I'm none of that. I'm a, I'm a purist. Um, and so, but that way, if you got dealt like three nines and two tens and big Haas, little Haas, like you could use that to your advantage because there are ways that nines and tens are by far the best cards. So that's why it makes, there's so many more options for all of the cards to be potentially useful. What you don't want is like a whole bunch of like kings and queens and tens because then you just got the middle of the road for everything and you're like, ugh, this is useless. Uh, yeah. But uh, but uh, yeah, definitely uh, a game we will play and then maybe an update for a future episode. I like that. When I uh, when I Google Big Hoss, Little Hoss here, 
Um, one of the first hits is a Pokemon card for the character Hoss Cartwright from Bonanza, who has as his <laughs> as his two attacks either Horse Trample or Smackdown. So that's uh, that's where we're gonna leave it with um, with Bid Euchre. So when um, one of the things about board games is that it. Um, you play it as a kid, you know, and it's something that brings you together as a family. But then at a certain point, you go to university, you know, you're in residence, you're an undergrad, you're not necessarily playing board games all the time anymore. You just don't have, I mean, you don't have in your residence room a collection of a bunch of different board games. You don't necessarily have a bunch of people to play with. When you're an undergrad, you've got other things going on. Um, but then I find a lot of people, you know, when they start to move off campus, when they meet new people, that's when a lot of people start to find their love of board games again. Um, and I think for me, that was certainly a part of it. Um, you know, an undergrad finding friends within the trivia club that would be into board games uh, with me and quite honestly, uh, meeting you and, and becoming friends with you, uh, you know, over a decade ago and, and playing games with you and our mutual friends um, in vet school together. So Christian, when for you uh, did board games kind of become reintroduced to your adult life? And, and when was there a time when you kind of um, felt that they would be a part of your adult life moving forward? Yeah, that's a really good question. I would probably say vet school, to be honest with you. Um, you know, maybe the tail end of um, my undergraduate degrees. Um, and I think it probably stemmed from a time when in my undergraduate years, I was um, a camp counselor, but then also the director of a particular summer camp on Lake Erie. Um, and so while we were there for the summer, you know, we'd move down uh, after school ended and we would uh, stay there all the way through Labor Day. Um, but it was a very, like, it was a camp, right? Like there was only one computer that had internet. You know, this was really before cell phones were super, super popular, meaning that like everybody had one and that type of thing. And, you know, we, it's back in the day when people still wrote letters to one another. So it tells you how <laughs> long ago that was. Um, and that type of thing. But we, so what we did all the time was play board games um, because mm -hmm. those stand the test of time. And when you're on Lake Erie and on a summer camp in cabins, and like I said, there's one computer and uh, you know, and that type of thing. I mean, that's kind of how we bonded and, you know, passed the time between weeks of campers and things like that. That's actually where I really fell in love with Settlers of Catan. That was one of the favorite games that we played, um, you know, at that point uh, in my life. So it's probably late undergrad and then in, into vet school because, uh, yeah, then I actually ended up meeting, uh, like you said, like you, uh, a lot of like-minded people who ended up uh, enjoying them just like I did. Um, and so, as obviously you are well aware, I don't have to explain to you, but to the listeners, um, there was a, a group of us, maybe I'll say what, eight to 10, maybe 10 to 12 of us guys. And, and then, you know, extensions off of that, that we would uh, get together and play board games, um, you know, with each other as we kind of uh, became friends in that. I, I, I vividly remember the days where the, uh, the frat parties were happening. And when the frat parties were happening, we were not at them. Uh, we were at uh, at our places playing uh, video, uh, not video games, excuse me, board games, uh, maybe some video games, but board games. Uh, I remember Munchkin, you know, we played that a ton. Yeah, that was, um, that was a and, good one. Uh, and that type of thing. So I think it was kind of that time for me specifically when I kind of um, maybe evolved se at least semi out of the college kid uh, routine, I suppose, if I can call that, and into 
I was gonna say more of the mature adult, uh, but that's relative. Um, so I say more mature, so it is relatively more mature, but maybe not by a whole lot. It's uh, it's interesting. I said we'd come to Settlers in a moment, and uh, here we are. I think Settlers is a game that has, as you rightly say, is very much allowed the transition to sort of adult board gaming for a lot of people. I think because of when Settlers became famous, it was not something that when we grew up in the 90s, it was not popular. You know, we were not typically playing Settlers with our parents. It was a game that was introduced to a lot of people as they got a bit older and then became hooked on it as an older person. And then I think that allowed them to kind of say, oh, yeah, I like board games now as an adult. I, I know for a lot of my friends and maybe even to some extent myself included that Settlers was like the game that kind of opened the door into that next kind of phase of gaming in your life. I think for me, a couple of extra steps were, um, you know, you and I have a pair of mutual friends, a husband and wife in our class who also live in America, who are big, big board game fans um, and who my wife and I would often get together and play board games with uh, as a group. And they were always willing to explore different games. And it was that attitude of like, just try something new, try something different every time you play rather than playing, you know, the tried and true um, which is something I had never really felt before. You know, like you always played Monopoly because you love Monopoly or you played Risk because you loved Risk. But this opened the door to say, well, I've never played this one before. None of us have. Let's play that one. And it was that kind of attitude that I think made me feel, made me more excited for board games and excited to explore and excited to go to the game store. And that kind of opened the door for me a little bit. There's nothing like a good board game store. <laughs> oh they're so satisfying aren't they what it's, is it? it's a money pit <laughs> they're all they all look so interesting um this is probably one of the nerdier things i've ever said um but it is yeah it, it's addicting um to go in there because like you said there's just so many that you can choose from and you kind of mentioned that like you know exploring into the into the into the new games and that type of thing i think that kind of goes back to that kind of uh, you know, social connection with intellectual kind of component to it, right? It's like, it's not only, um, you know, a great excuse to get together. You mentioned our mutual friend and uh, friends who are husband and wife. Uh, and but, uh, you know, regardless of who it is, you know, if you share that same passion, uh, and that type of thing to kind of explore something a little intellectually. Um, it's always a great excuse, not that we need a good excuse to get together, but um, it's always kind of that good, uh, you know, aspect to um, in which to kind of grow together, I guess, if I can call it that for lack of a better term. Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting, you know, when you say grow together, I think one of the things that you feel very much like, I, I mean, I'm, you know, bringing it up for the second time this episode, but the idea of kind of like an escape room or something like that, when you solve a problem as a group, you feel good about it. Like you grow together when you do that. And I think playing a board game, even though there's often only one winner that you all kind of tried to solve this problem, solve this puzzle together kind of helps you grow together, you know, because you're problem solving together. And it's such a unique time. It's almost like doing a group project, except fun as shit instead of boring as shit, you know? Well, and the group projects we're used to doing, like one person typically did all the work. Um, <laughs> yeah, so as opposed right. to these ones, which are a little that's more right. fun, I feel like everybody does their part for I the most part. On the on the way getting into vet school, that was probably us, unfortunately, more than once being the one doing the work. But, yes. you know, say la vie, and here we are now. So one of the other things that I think allowed me to grow a little bit in board games was, I think, moving on from that, from, you know, 
being introduced to them as an adult, settlers, um, you know, meeting new friends and, and trying new things. Um, one of them was playing, starting to play games one-on-one with my wife. And to me, that really opened up the door because it, it took board games away from needing to be a thing where either you were a full family around the table or you were a group of a bunch of friends getting together. And it moved it to like a one-on-one thing that I could do with my wife when we moved in together. And so kind of learning and exploring a lot of like two-person games, um, like Carcassonne and Quirkle, Guillotine, Gloom, kind of, you know, either card or tile laying games, very simple one-on-one. Honestly, I'm going to put a shout out for a super unique game, which I guess is a board game, but doesn't fall under any of these other categories because it's more of a physical one is Jenga. I mean, as a two person game, Jenga is the funnest shit around, man. And there's no strategy involved. It's just you do something with with someone that you care about and you grow together because you're focusing on each other rather than focusing on something else like the TV or something else. Shout out to like life-size Jenga, you know, the one with the big blocks, you do it outside or whatever. Like, yeah, 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 none of this, none of this like tiny little pieces shit. Like I want the life-size Jenga that you got to get out of the way because it hurts if you get hit with it. Like that's what (laughs) I, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. That's great. Now the next step would be, I'm sure, like a Jenga in Dubai on fire, like an actual skyscraper or something that you're like, or like actual humans stacked up that have to like dive out of the tower. And now I'm picturing the worst movie ever made, which is just like, (laughs) you know, it's just like Jenga in real life. (laughs) Fast and the Furious 14. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like F10. Yeah. (laughs) Jenga. Um, So Christian, with me playing with my wife, sometimes we've talked about our mutual love of Disney. You were mentioning, I think you used the word earlier this episode, Disney freaks, just quoting here. Um, Have you ever heard of a game called Villainous by any chance? I have heard of it. Um, I've actually never played it, though. We own it in one of the expansions. And I got to tell you, man, I was skeptical going in. I was I did not have high expectations. It's really good. Um, So you play there every um, like the initial set comes with six villains and you play the game as one villain and each villain has its own strengths and weaknesses. Um, So you kind of like every game is a new opportunity to like try and then master a new uh, character. So it has like a dozen or more solid fun new plays in it basically every time, which is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, do you, um, I, you know, me saying I'd recommend that to play with your wife. Do you and your wife ever play board games together? Uh, you know what? Now we really don't. Um, more so just because I feel like, so this is, I think more a product of our kind of recent life stretch together, um, which is we kind of went from obviously having a child to now we're kind of doing a house renovation and, you know, that type of thing. So we really don't, uh, to be honest with you, play many board games together anymore. Now, that being said, I think the pandemic also has something to do with that because we didn't really have anybody to play with, per se. Right. Um, as opposed right. to, now, you know, I mentioned there are obviously two-player games that we could play and that type of thing. But uh, um, no, honestly, recently, we really haven't, um, which is unfortunate. Um, but we're, uh, we're definitely looking forward to doing that again. We have friends of ours that live just across the Niagara Falls way. Um who uh you know we we would definitely get together with and play um board games uh with quite a bit um so we would definitely do that uh so we're looking forward to doing that obviously with yourself and your wife as well uh but um yeah no, nothing, you know who nothing we should recently. get together with you know who we should get together with for a board game night is producer ryan producer ryan and maybe his wife and the entire cast of the dole whips and double doubles podcast actually 
we could do like a crossover podcast board game episode. Speaking of Disney freaks, if I may. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Right there. Another, I think, evolution in the board game uh, world that's made it a lot of fun is that you could play them now on your phone and on your iPad and even on the Switch, which we're going to come to in a moment. Um, but uh, I know when I first got my Switch, that was something that I got a couple of was board games on your Switch, which is a ton of fun and really, again, expands board games being from just beyond Scrabble as a family, Monopoly as a family, chess with one other person into this kind of broader thing that that you can really enjoy in a lot of different ways. So. I think the the evolution of board games in that sense, I think is I, I think it's good in a way, but I think it's bad in a way. Um, not to get into a huge philosophical discussion as we're ending this segment, but um, the one thing I love about the board games is actually just the physical proximity to the yes, people you're absolutely. playing with, yeah, yeah. right? Like, there's something like playing chess over the internet is not the same as staring your opponent in the face. And like yes, the purpose yeah. for me of the board games is the community that I'm playing with. One yeah. of the things I long for and that I miss most about our board playing games is that terrible Ikea table we bought uh, that sat in our <laughs> dining room in our house in vet school yes. with the guys <laughs> around and us yelling at each other playing you know, munchkin or whatever. And uh, our roommate always managing to win right at the end after we tried to yes. screw ourselves over all the time. He had a knack for that, just sneaking in at the end. But that's not the point. Um, and one mutual friend, um, his name starts with T, who would get pretty riled up like halfway through a game and be like, that's it. I'm not playing this anymore. And then the cards would get would get tossed down on the table. The rage quit was strong in that one. <laughs> um, and so like, but like, it's those memories that I, you know, recall, like with my, uh, you know, with my friends, like I mentioned the camp I was at, you know, like those memories of us playing Settlers of Catan late into the night, like in our, in our cabin or even down on the dock on the lake, you know, those types of things. It's those memories which i i relish the most um which i feel like the kind of you know playing you mentioned the switch playing board games over the switch kind of loses that ability however and we'll get into this later in the episode is th the switch is one way that i've actually been able to stay connected actually to my friends currently during this time when i've been unable to see them so i think there's positives to both aspects here yeah, I'm totally with you. And I think that's a perfect place to stop this segment because we're going to come back and talk about the Switch in a moment. You can reach out to us at the Dad Joke Loading Podcast at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at Loading Dad. We'd love to hear from you, but we're going to take a break and we'll be back to talk about video games. This is the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. Hey, Michael Spicer here. I'm a sound designer and a composer. I have a sound library that's metaphorically bursting at the seams. Oh! Uh, look at all these sounds all over the place now. Like this typewriter. Wow, look at him go. Glass breaking. Watch your feet. Body falls. It's a, just a guy falling. If you need sounds or music for your project, go to michaelspicermusic.com! Pew, 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 pew. 
this is the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. Welcome back. This is Christian alongside Chris, and that was my lame attempt at a video game intro to this segment. Um, as Chris mentioned uh, earlier, uh, just now, you know, we, we, we're going to transition from board games to video games um, as hobbies of ours that we played uh, long ago and kind of returning to now um, in a different frame of mind now being uh, parents. But before we get into that uh, particular discussion, Chris, I thought it would be fun to kind of reminisce a little bit and get us started with a very video game type recurring segment known as Rapid Fire. Michael Spicer's sound effect was probably better than my lame attempt at, uh, you know, at a, 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 a pew, pew, pew. But, uh, but uh, I digress. Um, so, Chris, I thought we would just kind of go back and forth here. I know we've kind of prepared some questions here. Um, so uh, we go back and forth and kind of just give the, uh, the listeners here just a quick taste of our kind of video game tastes maybe before we get into some discussions. So you ready for rapid fire? Hit me. No, that's Blackjack. Ah, damn it. Okay. Sorry. Uh, uh, C, B. Uh, I always get these first ones wrong. Um, <laughs> next question. Sorry. Go ahead. Alrighty. So uh, first video game or system that you remember playing as a kid. Mm, okay. Easy one right off the bat for me. Um, I had one system growing up that was Super Nintendo. Um, and my first two games were Jungle Book. Disney's Jungle Book for Super Nintendo and NHL 97 featuring John Van Beesbrook of the uh, newly Stanley Cup finalist Florida Panthers. Um, I played the hell out of those games. Um, so, yeah, that was my first video game system. What about you? Uh, actually, mine was the Sega Genesis, believe it or not. Sega um, Genesis. So no, I actually did not own. I actually did not own a Super Nintendo Classic. Actually, till I was much older. So I actually started with the the Sega Genesis, specifically Sonic the Hedgehog, um, nice. as well as uh, NHL. Uh, 97 they had this really hilarious way that you could fight it was in this terrible 2d um and i always found a way to fight as tom barrasso the goalie for the penguins <laughs> yeah tom barrasso i think uh didn't he he made the nhl out of high school as an 18 year old that's my fun tom barrasso fact of the day all right rapid fire to you what was your favorite console growing up uh just considering the memory nostalgia your number one console your entire childhood what was it uh growing up if i had to say like you said taking all that into account maybe not the best system but my favorite system is the nintendo 64 um mm, and i yeah, think that's because that's what i had the most memories of not only playing with my brother um but playing with uh my my friends growing up and uh it's the system i probably had the most in my youth um so i'm gonna go nintendo 64 what about you Nice. Mine, uh, simple one, Game Boy Pocket. That was, uh, that was what I carried oh, with me nice. for like six years of my life. My friend had a, a Dreamcast, and I always thought that was like the ballest system. But if I'm talking like my personal genuine favorite, got to be the Game Boy Pocket. Um, all right, over to you. All right, rapid fire question. Video game you've played the most. This, I mean, we're going to get into this later. NHL. NHL, NHL, and NHL. I've played it every single year. It's like the only game that it's it's the game that I've probably spent 70 to 80% of my entire video game life playing is uh NHL. What about you? 
Uh, I'm probably going to actually say Super Smash Brothers, believe it or not, because I think it transcends multiple systems. So I think I played it on mm. the 64. I played it on the GameCube. Um, I played on the Switch. So probably if I had to say like overall, like over my entire life, probably that one. Well, considering we're going to probably play against each other like tomorrow for the first time, I'm not looking forward to that. That is not going to go well. All right. Over to me. Christian, have you ever played a virtual reality game? And do you want to buy a virtual reality headset? Really quick answer. No. Okay. You've never, have you never played one either? Never played one. Don't really have any interest. Um, I, yeah, I just, uh, Hey, I'm sure they're real fun. And I'm sure that's something that if I went to, I'm going to be real American here for a second, say Dave and Busters. Um, you know, if I did something <laughs> like, if I did it like something at one of those, I'm sure it would be interesting. That being said, I have seen the ones where like, they have like the lightsaber game. Cause I'm a huge star Wars nor- nerd. I'm sure that would be super cool enough for me to really buy one though. Nah, not don't really have the, uh, the interest in that but uh what about you fair enough uh i have played one um i think the first one i ever played was like a bomb diffusing game where like you basically have your hands in front of you and you're just like it's like a puzzle kind of in front of you that you're solving with your hands i was super intrigued by them so i definitely am way more pro virtual reality than you are but i would say do i want to buy one they're real expensive my worry is that they would get boring pretty quickly you know like that the game itself wouldn't necessarily be as enjoyable as a as a standard video game and kind of that novelty would wear off because that first novelty of like when you're first playing it just mind-blowing so i'm gonna go with yes and no i've played one but i don't think i want to buy one all right over to you uh do you have a favorite uh i'll call it retro video game that has been remade I, man, I don't think I have a specific one. I'm going to cheat on this question and say just the general concept of emulators. When I was in, I think, first year university, someone first like taught me what an emulator was and that basically I could make my laptop into a Super Nintendo. And that just blew my mind. And the fact that I could play Mario Kart on my laptop Uh, again, blew my mind. So this isn't a remake. This is totally not the substance of the question you're asking, but I'm just going to go with emulators and the general concept of the remake of a console on your laptop. What about you? Uh, Just really quick aside on emulators. I wasted so much time in first year vet school in the back row of 1714 (laughs) playing Pokemon on the Game Boy emulator. Um, it's amazing we passed, but, um, I mean, a few of our friends did that through most of medical school as well. So, I mean, yeah, that's no. a good, that's a good point. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, so I'm going to actually use the same, um, uh, answer I did before, which is actually uh, Super Smash Brothers, um, just because <laughs> I think carrying it through is fun. Although I did just mention Pokemon. Um, now that I'm on the Switch, mm, uh, the new Pokemon games are actually super fun uh, with the graphics. I will admit I get a little bit overwhelmed and with the kind of all the different generations of Pokemon. So I'm not really here for that mm. necessarily. I'm a pretty tried and true, like blue and red kind of guy. Uh, but uh, yeah. But I think uh, so all of those are pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, I've always like I've had that kind of love hate relationship with the newer uh, Pokemon um, franchises. Like I'd be very, very happy to keep buying them and playing all the new ones. I had yellow. Um, I think I played Pearl at one point. Like I have played these ones, but it just you lose the nostalgia of those first 150, the original 150. And I think that's such a critical component of it. Um, All right. Over to me. Uh, What is your favorite first person shooter? 
Oof. Um, well, I will admit, I never really got into the Call of Duties or anything like that. So I never really played any of those games. So I'm going to go a little bit old school. Um, and I'm going to say Goldeneye. Yes, yes. Same answer for me. A hundred percent. What a classic. There's nothing quite like when you get the headshot and it's just like, ba-da, ba-da, da-da, ba-da, <laughs> yeah. as the blood comes down the yes. screen and you're just like, yeah, yeah take that, Boris. Um, so yeah, yeah golden eye for me, for sure. And you never, it for whatever reason, it, even though you were shooting each other in the head, it never felt quite as like, like gory or realistic as like Call of Duty, you know, whatever it was, not, uh, World War Two or you know, Battlefield or Battlefront 1942, whatever, whatever it was, you know, those kind of more aggressive, realistic games. There's just something about being like James Bond that makes you feel like you're, you're not quite so violent. Yeah. Absolute classic. All right. Over to you. What's your favorite online or multiplayer game? I mean, I'm going to have to go with NHL. That's like what I buy Xbox Live for. It's like the only reason I play online. But because I've answered that one before, I'm going to go with a game that I had a lot of fun playing online with um, in undergrad. What kind of introduced me to playing first-person shooters online. Uh, a classic Halo, the original Halo, you know, playing online as a, with those group battles. Um, that was a ton of fun. Um, all right. Uh, two last questions for me. What uh, if you went to a desert island and you could only bring one video game? So we're looking at replay value. We're looking at a game you could play, you know, 10,000 times and not get tired of. What is your desert island video game? Hmm. I think it's going to have to be something that which kind of goes against most of my video game preferences. Because typically I'm a guy that likes a story. I like a campaign. You know, I like a storyline. I like a beginning and an end. But if I'm going for replay value, I think I'm going to have to go with something that is uh, more, uh, you know, replayable. Like you said, with replay value. So I think I'm going to go. No, wait, am I, am I by myself on a debtor's island? Yes, by yourself. Oof. Let's say you could maybe access online play, but you definitely couldn't be playing local. I mean, that's not going to work out. Kind of defeats the desert island. Perfect. Okay. I'm going to go with something maybe a little bit outside the box and go with Mario Party. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Out of the box. I was going to go with Mario Kart just from, you know, racing is always fun. Um, But, uh, and I could have gone with a sports game. I thought about it, but I'm going to go Mario Party because there's all those little mini games. You know, there's the added gameplay. It's like a puzzle each time. There's so many different games. There's multiple games within the game. So I'm thinking replay value in that, like, you know, it's going to be different a lot of times over. Um, And so I'm going to go Mario Party. Okay. What about you? Uh, oh God, I didn't even think to answer my own question here. Desert Island video game. I mean, replay value, like you say, I think a campaign would not allow you replay value. You know, you'd want something that is difficult to master, would take you a long time. You know, I actually might go with like the most recent Legend of Zelda for Switch because it has an open world and complete exploration and they have what I haven't played it yet, but whatever it is, like a hundred different shrines that you could discover individually even after you've won the game. So um, yeah, I think Legend of Zelda actually. So that's really funny because my last question was going to be, which leads me into the topic here quickly, which is going to be, what is your current favorite game for the Nintendo Switch? Because I know you just got one. Mine is Zelda Breath of the Wild. Really? Which you okay, just mentioned okay. for that very reason. So what's yours? Uh, Super Smash Brothers. I've uh, I've played that one, but also a lot of Grid uh, Autosport, the racing game. We'll get into racing games a bit more 
um, in a moment. But um, I think it's a really, uh, really, really wonderful racing game. Realistic. It has multiple different classes. You can essentially do F1, rally car, street car, um, super realistic physics engine, variable difficulties, really great, really awesome, accurate uh, map. So I played that a lot, but uh, it's not the answer I'm going with. Super Smash Brothers. That is for sure the one that I play the most at the moment. So Christian, I'm going to... Um, you already answered that one, right? You said Legend is Legend Zelda. Legend is Zelda, Breath of the Wild. Yeah, exactly. Right. So. so I'm going to close it out with my last question, which is what is your favorite type of video game? Uh, I think I'm going to go like a campaign. Like I think RPG, I guess, just like I just mentioned that. Like if I have the option to do so, I'm the type of person I need the storyline. I need the campaign. Uh, the open world aspect doesn't necessarily thrill me as much i'm the kind of guy that needs direction i also like the kind of person that uh, so we talked about sports games i like the ability to like play an entire season you know build the team yeah. build the roster i'm not the uh, type of person that i could just like i'm not going to go online and just play a match of call of duty like that's just I, to me that's just the same thing over and over again yes i understand the gameplay is different necessarily every time but i need the uh the story i need something kind of to invest in in that way yeah. so i'm going to go rpg what about you uh yeah i think i'm going to go something similar i mean growing up it would have been sports and i for sure still would say sports is probably the one i play the most but the one that i like that gets me going that gets me really riled up gets and the really people gets going me, <laughs> yeah makes me makes me really addicted to it is probably strategy games and i would say specifically like sports strategy games but um like give me like a good farming simulator or like a baseball management simulator uh, or like, you know, a, a big game we'll, I'll probably mention is Tropico, which is like you're managing the politics of a desert island. Um, yeah, like those are those are my jam. You know, if I can set a budget on marketing that, oh, no, is going to infringe a 15 percent additional tax on my revenue for the year. Yeah, yeah. Gets me tingly. Nobody knows what it means, but it's provocative. <laughs> uh, but that brings the uh, end to the slowest rapid fire, maybe of the entire. Uh, history of the show um but uh, just kind of diving in a little bit here to uh to video games as uh as, as a topic here we kind of talked a lot about how we played it um kind of as kids but i was also kind of curious you know now that we are parents i feel like our view of video games at least mine is um i kind of find actually a little bit different and almost hypocritical which i'm so i'm interesting interested to hear what you think um but just really quickly i mean i mentioned i grew up on the sega genesis um, and then the Nintendo 64 um, after that. So Sega Genesis, which came out, uh, released in 1989, at least in North America. Um, and uh, so I remember playing things like Sonic the Hedgehog. I talked about NHL. Uh, Mortal Kombat was also one that I played a lot growing up, I remember. Actually, fun fact, two fun facts about the Sega Genesis, if I may. Um, did you know that they actually had a uh, company-wide contest for the mascot? Um and that actually the winner was Sonic the Hedgehog. So that's why really? Sonic the Hedgehog no came, be, to, came to be what it was. Um, and the reason they did that is because they were actually trying to rival Nintendo's Mario. So at the time, so Nintendo and Mario was very popular. So they wanted to have their star power to go with their it. Their Mario. Right. Yeah. They also had um, a lot of uh, famous people's in names so they had arnold palmer golf you know joe montana mm. football they had so they were trying to bring in the star power um i remember that but uh, uh but actually going back to mortal Kombat, they also uh the sega genesis and sega they actually 
were one of the first to create the rating system. Uh, so we think about how games are rated E for everyone, you know, or rated M for mature. Rated M for mature. That's what I remember from every commercial growing up. And it's because Mortal Kombat, when it came out in the 90s, there was such a big outcry because of the blood and the violence and everything that was in it. So Mortal Kombat was actually on Sega and Nintendo, and they kind of did their own versions of them. Um, but uh, yeah, Sega was one of the first ones to put the like M for mature kind of thing on there so that they could still have some games that were meant for kids, but then some that they could be like, now nah, we're going to keep it bloody, but it's only for adults. <laughs> um, and so uh, and so that's what uh, I remember for that. But um, but 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 kind of going into that a little bit, I mean, we know what video games have become. And so we talked about kind of the violence, um, you know, that type of thing or the first person shooter aspect or, um, you know, those type of things. Now that you are I mean, you've grown up with video games, you've played them. And I mean, I think we turned out OK. I mean, we're doing a podcast about being dad, so we couldn't have done that poorly anyway uh but um what are your thoughts now on kind of not that we're going to expose our kids to video games anytime soon per se you know again just them being so incredibly little but now just what do you kind of view as your kind of maybe overall parenting kind of philosophy towards them now that you are a dad, again, I realize I'm asking a very general question and I'm hypothesizing into the future. Um, but do you feel like you have any kind of thoughts about that now that we've kind of evolved, I say evolved a little bit, uh, you know, in life into kind of this new role as parent? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I mean, it's one that I think about a lot. Um, I'll answer the question simply to start, which is that I'm pro video game, you know, um, but pro video game is not like a blanket statement where I value every different aspect of them. But when you think about the different types of like, think about an awesome baby toy, you know, like someone's like, oh, I got you this really educational Fisher Price price toy for your daughter. Um, you know, it's probably going to have lights and colors and sounds and different buttons to press and, you know, a cause and effect type of mechanisms within the toy. You do one thing, something else happens. These are video games. I mean, fu fundamentally, a video game is just a more advanced educational toy where you're learning about a story and cause and effect and to a degree, fine motor skill. Um, you know, I, as part of becoming an internal medicine specialist, do a lot of endoscopy. Um, and we always talk about how people who have played video games tend to be better at endoscopy simply because you're kind of connecting your brain to your hand. You're comfortable looking at a screen. I mean, it has been useful in my life and I would absolutely never discourage my kids from playing. It is a fine motor skill uh, like you said, kind of that uh, connection, which is really interesting. I remember actually, yeah. uh, do you remember when we were in vet school, um, there was that laparoscopy um, trial or study that they were doing yeah, where they had yeah, us yeah, come, come on in and do those? Um, I remember having conversations with a few of our classmates that we were saying, and we were basically just being like, this is like playing a video game. Yeah, it is. It genuinely is, 100%. And it's like that connecting your brain to what your hand is doing, you know? Um, and when you think about it, I mean, think about sitting there and watching a movie for two hours and whatever degree of, you know, brain uh, workout that that gives you versus that two hours spent trying to problem solve, you know, and trying to work your way through a story and make decisions. I think it's uh, I think it, it engages your brain. One thing that, you know, I, I think I do have to veer off the beaten path a little bit here. And I think some of my listeners, some of our listeners will not agree with me on this one, um, is that one thing that I have. 
always had a bit of a troubled relationship with, but that I think I will be hypocritical about uh, when it comes to my kids is um, violent or particularly first person shooter video games. Um, I played GoldenEye growing up and I played a hell of a lot of Star Wars Battlefront growing up. Yeah. Love me some Battlefront. Yeah, it's a great game. I played a bit of Halo, um, but then I also played some realistic ones. I played a little bit of COD Modern Warfare when I was in university. I played a little bit of um, the original COD where it's set in uh, World War II when I was um, in high school. Um, And they're fun. I mean, they're fun. And certainly in the moment, you don't think that you're being violent. But I do think there is we should not normalize um, shooting someone in the brain and seeing blood go everywhere like that shouldn't be something that is normalized in our society. And I don't think that's a a drive and a skill that we really want to be teaching. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I don't want to be one of these people that sits there saying, you know, no fun for anyone, ban all video games, you know, I, but it, I don't know, man, I have a hard time looking at the violence in COD and looking at the violence, especially in things like Grand Theft Auto and saying, I want my kid to be looking at that. Like that's a normal thing and that that's what they're looking forward to at the end of the day. So I'm pro video game, but anti certain video games. Well, the problem I think with that aspect of it, not the problem with your statement, because I am fully in agreement with you is that there has to be some level of, and I don't know how to achieve this, but necessarily, but there has to be some level of disconnect that is implicit in that, right? Like, you know, we can play Call of Duty or Halo or, you know, whatever it is, but, um, you know, there has to be some level of education to say like, like, this is just a game. This doesn't happen in real life. And how do you teach that? you know, and, and how do you make sure that that is known? Because I mean, you and I can sit here and, you know, we talked about how we could play, you know, Zelda or Super Smash Brothers. I mean, one of you said, one of our favorite games is all you literally do is try to beat the shit out of your opponent until they explode off a screen. Right. Yeah. Or whatever, you know, whatever it is, or like that type of thing. And so, but you and I can sit there and play each other over, uh, you know, over the internet or when we were, were, you know, we were in vet school, we would sit in our friend's house and like play and, uh, you know, and that type of thing. And, and we would know exactly what it was, but as a child, you know, when you're in that developmental process, you know, how do you understand the disconnect from this is a game to what is actually supposed to and allowed to happen and is okay to happen in normal social interactions. And surely there must be, we must as a society have the ability to draw that line. Like if there was a, you know, school shooter simulator, you know, where like you're a school shooter, we probably would not say that that video game is okay. Right. And then on the flip side, if you had like a video game where you're a spaceship shooting other spaceships, you know, and it's like you're not looking at a person shooting them with a gun. Like, yes, it's violent, but, you know, it's hard. It, you have that disconnect, you know, things like Super Smash Brothers. You say, well, it's a fantasy world. I'm a big cartoon character. But like, where's the line? You know, and, and I think like Halo versus Call of Duty or Star Wars versus Call of Duty is a great example of that. Like in both of those games, you have a gun, you're looking for somebody's head and you're shooting that head. But in one, you're kind of thinking, oh, this is like science fiction. There's a disconnect. And then in the other one, it's like World War II. And you could be looking at, you know, someone 
emblematic of your grandparents, you know? And so where do you draw the line? And obviously as a society, we've drawn the line somewhere past Grand Theft Auto, which is totally allowed, where you can just like individually beat up people and rob them and, you know, do all kinds of uh, crime. So it, it seems like we have a pretty, pretty uh, open view to it. I just don't know that it's going to be something that I openly encourage in our household. Yeah, I think I, I think that's a really a good way to put it. Yeah, I don't think I'll necessarily openly encourage it um, necessarily, but I'm also not going to completely disallow it necessarily depending on what, you know, ends up happening with that. I think it's a it's it's a it's a line that um, that I think is maybe a little bit different for everybody and really impossible to draw in the sand um, because I think that line is very wavy in a lot of ways, you know, um, in terms of, and you could probably make the argument for a lot of ways. I mean, we're, to, we're focusing for on like kind of a first person shooter mentality per se. Um, but I'm sure uh, and my mom would certainly be one of them that she would probably sit there and just be like, hockey's such a violent sport. How could you, you know, play hockey mm. all the time, you know, you're skating on swords and slashing each other with sticks and punching each other when you don't like each other, um, you know, kind of thing. Like, so I think there's, you know, uh, I'm, I'm exaggerating to prove a point, although my mom does think hockey is a very violent game. No, I mean, game, that, but- that was pretty accurate. I mean, you, I mean, you punch each other when you don't like each other. I just think I was, I'm sitting here laughing, thinking like the NHL should just lean into that as their slogan. The NHL, where you punch each other if you don't like each other. Uh, yeah, we'll call Gary and, and see what he thinks. We'll call Batman and see what he's up against. Uh, but uh, yeah, and and I think when it comes down to it, realistically, it it it's really about the the fundamental aspect of the kind of so going back to kind of if I can tie board game into video game here, right? It's kind of the the social and intellectual development, obviously with underlying just general fun and enjoyment, right, as part of it, um, that we have to consider with the activity um, as opposed to either the kind of, not minutia that we get stuck in necessarily, um, but, you know, the kind of um, lessons that might be learned as a result. You know, I don't think anybody sets out to say like, oh, I'm going to let my kid play this video game so that they can understand it's okay to shoot somebody in the brain. Um, Like, no, of course we don't set out to do that. I don't think anybody sets out to do that. It's just what potentially becomes more um, normalized, I guess, or maybe less inherently severe, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, You know, from a violence standpoint or a, a cruelty standpoint or a crime standpoint, as we kind of mentioned there. But I also sit here 100% a hypocrite because I played pretty much all of those games growing up. And here I am saying, like, I could not imagine my daughter playing something like that. What could you absolutely mean? And as I've said to them multiple, multiple times, I understand completely now what my parents went through when I was a kid Mm. and now have so much, not that I didn't have respect for them before, so much respect for what they went through when I was a kid um, Mm. having these decisions that I clearly didn't understand at the time, but I definitely do now. And even the technology was new to them at that time. I mean, something that's, I think, new to us that we didn't grow up with, like that's new to us as 
parents, let me say it that way, is that when we were growing up, you couldn't play online. You know, you couldn't play yeah, good point. against somebody, whereas now you can meet total strangers. And like, how do you, you know, how do I police my eight or nine year olds um, in, in an environment where they could be meeting and talking to, to strangers um, live, you know, which is a totally different thing. So, yeah, I, I think that's very well said, you know, it gives you a respect and appreciation for your parents dealing with like this brand new technology on the scene with, quite frankly, like incredibly addictive qualities. You know, that's like, yeah, you know, video games are just designed to be the perfect light and stimulation for your brain. Um, and, uh, you know, so that our parents had to deal with that must have been a really tough thing because it's hard for us. And like we've we know it and it's already hard for us, you know, one just quick story I have to think about when I was thinking about, you know, my parents dealing with us as kids. My brother and I got in trouble one time, and uh, specifically what we did, I don't recall, but our punishment was that my, my mom hid our Nintendo 64 controllers. <laughs> so we had to stare at the console knowing we couldn't use it. And so when our punishment was over, my mom went to find the controllers and could not. <laughs> so she straight up lost the controllers and so of course she felt awful and so she had to go out and buy us new ones so i mean she didn't we didn't say she had to she did that of her own guilt my mom she's uh, like a damn this backfired yeah my mom my mom will always say she says her guilt covers the civilized world so when she um when she found out that she could not find them she went out and bought two more and so there we did. And then, lo and behold, when the next uh, winter season came around, my dad got out his hockey bag to go out and play in his hockey league. And he opened him up. And sure enough, sitting under there <laughs> under his shoulder pads were two Nintendo 64 controllers. <laughs> and there they were. And so all of a sudden, for that Christmas season and winter break, we had four N64 controllers. Oh, and we could have mean. our friends over and play. So that was a funny backfire moment for for my it's mom, which I, I, I know is destined to happen to me. I don't know exactly how yeah. it's going to happen yet, but it will. You just hit me right in the nostalgia feels. Because for me, so I never owned an N64. I mean, probably the most classic um, console of our childhood growing up. For me, the N64 was the hallmark of childhood, birthday parties, and sleepovers. That was like what the N64 was. Yeah. And if you had a friend who had four controllers and ideally some rumble packs on the back of there. Oh, love was, me a good rumble pack. Oh, yeah. Man, you were you were just kings on the throne. I mean, GoldenEye, Super Smash Brothers, Mario Kart, Mario Party. And then, of course, any like, I know it's now WWE, but back then, WWF, any of those like wrestling games where like you could pick to be Stone Cold Steve Austin and jump on somebody from the top turnbuckle. That's the that bottom line. Like, childhood as you're going through your loot bags from the birthday party playing n64 uh, golden eye on paintball mode that was just beautiful well i think that's where we're going to close it off for uh for this segment here on the dad joke loading podcast uh as we keep saying hit us up tell us what your f favorite video games are if you have a favorite system growing up um or opinion about video games board games card games you name it uh, we'd love to hear from you hit us up on twitter and instagram but we'll be right back, and we're going to close out the show uh, with one of the uh, main reasons why we're doing this podcast, to tell dad jokes. So we'll be right back here on the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. I'm Christian. That's Chris. We'll be right back. Welcome. 
Welcome back to the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. We are going to close things out with one of our favorite segments, Dad Joke of the Week. Hey, Christian, um, you know, I was at the park the other day and uh, I was wondering why the Frisbee kept looking bigger and bigger. And then it hit me. <laughs> Chris, did you hear the uh, the psychic meeting in town was canceled due to unforeseen circumstances? <laughs> they should have seen that coming. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Listen, whoever stole my antidepressants, I hope you're happy now. <laughs> I was going to say, mental health is no joke, except right there. <laughs> hey, uh, Chris, what do uh, furniture makers say during a tense conversation? I don't know. What do furniture makers say? Let's table this for now. <laughs> Man, the other day, my daughter was yelling at me, Dad, you haven't listened to one word I've just said to you, have you? And I thought, what a strange way to start a conversation. Start a conversation. I've heard that one. It was the wife that was yelling. But yeah, I heard that one. That's good. That's good. Uh, so I was trying to, uh, you know, uh, book a venue um, so that I could get married at the library. But they were all booked up. <laughs> you know, the other day I learned a really important life lesson. You actually don't need a parachute to go skydiving. You do need a parachute to go skydiving twice. <laughs> I was like, is it skydiving in land? I was wait, I couldn't realize. I didn't know what the payoff was. So that's good. That's good. Hey, uh, uh, Chris, do you know what Sherlock Holmes' favorite protein source is? Hmm. No, I don't know what Sherlock Holmes' favorite protein source is. Mystery meat. <laughs> I've solved it, Watson. It's salmonella. <laughs> okay, quickly. Quick, this or that. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. or Benedict Cumberbatch? Which do you prefer? Oh, man. Uh, as Sherlock, Benedict Cumberbatch. As an actor, generally, who, like uh, Robert Downey Jr. I mean, Iron Man, Tropic Thunder. Like, give me him as an actor every day. But for Sherlock specifically... Um, I like the, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's tough to say as the Sherlock and Watson combo, I'm going the, the British Martin Freeman time. is, is really good. As yeah, Watson, yeah. 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 Uh, but, yeah. But, uh, yeah, like you said, I, I, I think I'm with you there. I'm the dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. <laughs> um, terribly inappropriate character, uh, in 2021, oh. but, uh, I digress. Continue. Um, all right, this is my last one, my final dad joke to close us out before we take a, a very brief uh, uh, sabbatical. Back in the day, my grandfather uh, once said, you could walk into a grocery store with $2 in your pocket and walk out with a loaf of bread, a dozen eggs, and a bit of butter as well. But he drifted off and said, but today, wherever you go, there are cameras. <laughs> well, speaking of butter... Have you heard the rumor about butter? No, I haven't. Oh, well, I'm not going to spread it then. <laughs> well, this has been the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. Chris, always a pleasure. Really fun to chat with you each week. Uh, hit us up again. Twitter, Instagram, email. Uh, Producer Ryan, Michael Spicer, Vishal Murthy, we can't thank you guys enough. 
wives and daughters, we love you. We, we cherish you. Thank you so much for letting us do this. And listeners, thanks for sticking with us for yet another episode of the Dad Joke Loading Podcast. And we'll catch you again next week. 